talk about revolution that's going a little bit too far. So love me, love me, love me. I'm a liberal. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Worst Wing, here where we take a look at Aaron Sorkin's seminal work, The West Wing, from a 2020 leftist socialist perspective. I am Dave. And I am Stu. And we are here to discuss the episode entitled Holy Night, uh, which yeah. is another holiday Christmas episode of The West Wing, as the show has a penchant of doing around this time of year. Uh, this one starts off with a flashback, not just out of the White House, we go all the way to New York City, but out of our present time as we go back to 1957, when we see uh, three young Jewish men in New York uh, talking about uh, their favorite recording artists and uh, saying that there's no Yiddish word for the word poof. <laughs> 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 which I found, I found as as a Jewish person, I found that whole exchange quite delightful. Um, in, in a rare change, before we start getting into it, I, we just want to say ahead of time that we both actually really enjoyed this episode of television. Yeah, and this is actually like the cold open. It jumps right in where it is. Um, it's just enough of a change in the formula to have like a striking impact on both your interest level and honestly like the tone of the show. Yes, yeah, uh, they they after a f- the last few episodes being extremely formulaic West Wing, where no, you know nothing really happens here. All of a sudden, we're not just out of the White House, but out of time and, yeah. and back to the fifties. So we see uh, these three Jewish men. We f- quickly figure out they are part of the Jewish mafia, and uh, one of them ends up killing the other because like he screwed up. Uh, uh, he screwed up an operation. It's the details are unclear, but you know, he goes around the corner and like blam, blam shoots him. Yeah. And then he, he comes back and he's like, all right, we got to get out of here. And he talks to the other guy. He's like, Hey, you just had a baby. What did you name your new baby boy? It's like Toby. His name is Toby, Toby. Ziegler. <laughs> and, uh, and that brings us to the, the modern day. So we find out this is Toby's father who used to work for murder incorporated. Yeah, which actually, so um, I have heard the term used before, but I never really knew what Murder, Inc. was. Mm-hmm. And I mean, did you this, also go on a wiki deep dive? <laughs> indeed, I did. This prompted me to me too. You know, read shit about them, which is cool. Like, hey, you know, learn something every day. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the Jewish mafia was um, was definitely part of New York. Um and uh, and some other cities around America competing with the uh, Italian and um, other mafias. Um, so, but uh, they transitioned away from from street crime into more financial crime and stuff like that, and, <laughs> and uh, eventually just sort of like went legit um, because neoliberal capitalism was like, actually, we can just give you all jobs doing this. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, we're not doing tropes here. This is like what actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but, uh, so then we, this pays off. We'll just take this plot line all on its own in this sure. segment. And then, so this pays off when Toby's father comes unexpectedly to the White House uh, to meet with Toby um, seeking reconciliation. It's clear they've been estranged for some time. And with the news that Toby has 
a baby on the way, or mm-hmm. twins, but uh, the father doesn't uh, no, or yeah, I think he knows it's twins. But with the news that Toby has babies on the way, uh, the father has come seeking to make amends with his son. Uh, Toby clearly wants none of it from the get go, and yeah. is like, is like, how did you get here? Ginger calls security. You know, he's taking it very seriously at first. We find out later that Josh is the one who arranged the meeting, uh, and then Toby rightfully gets quite angry at Josh uh, for doing this. Uh, not and not respecting his wishes because Toby had made it clear to Josh how he felt about his father. But uh, Josh pulls, like, the survivor's guilt sympathy card and says, well, you know, at least you have a dad. You know, you should go be with him because <sighs> I don't have a dad or a sister. And it's like, oh, fuck off. Yeah, seriously. Like, come on. But because this is TV, it works. And they, and they actually reconcile. And, you know, they start to they start to open up a little bit to each other. But the real emotional payoff for this is throughout the episode, you've been hearing a cappella singers uh, throughout the corridors of the West Wing. And they've shown them a few times, too. And it's the Whiff and Poofs, the Yale Whiff and Poof a cappella group. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, but uh, Toby's dad has been in Toby's office the entire time and hasn't actually seen it. And so he goes, Toby, who, who's singing? Who's been singing this whole time? And he's like, it's the Whiff and Poof. So I'm surprised you haven't heard of them. <laughs> which, pay, which pays off back to the uh, opening when he didn't know the Yiddish for Whiff and Poof. And uh, they, they go and they watch them. And they start to sing uh, Holy Night. Because, of course, this is our Christmas episode. And Toby's dad... I, uh, I, well, I didn't look up the actor's name. But the actor does an incredible job. And he just says something in Yiddish... And then Toby's like, what was that? He's like, I'm having the strongest memory. Yeah. And then, which leads into this really nice montage uh, with the acapella version of Holy Night and various scenes of, of, around the White House. And it all works. It works surprisingly well. Yeah. And there's nothing other than the like, and we, you, you touched on it, like the, the very sort of kitschy, like, oh, I don't have a dad. You should be glad. Yeah. Because frankly, like, again... It's your relationship with your family is your business, man. Like mm-hmm. anybody I know, just I I draw absolutely no conclusions based on it and I have absolutely no expectations of it. It's lovely when you have a good relationship with your family. Sometimes right. people don't. Like, okay, cool. Fuck yeah. off, Josh. Like, it, it feels very sort of like 90s TV of like, no, we have to get the family together again, you know? Dad, <laughs> yeah. Dad'll come home when the angels win the pennant, you know? So like, you know, and like I said, because it's TV, it works. Yeah. And it works out. And in real life, to- you know, Toby would be like, Josh, you fucking asshole. asshole. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and also like a... You know, the the administration constantly bends the rules when it's convenient for them. But his initial reaction is also correct because who knows what this motherfucker's been doing and what his ties to organized crime right. still are. Yeah, he's you know he's a convicted felon who with ties to organized crime. He is technically a security threat to the president and should be treated as such. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even though you know he he does his best like polite old man like Toby. I'm really not a threat. Or whatever, but like in reality, you wouldn't know. 
Yeah. Because it's TV, obviously, we're like, oh, he's a nice old man. He's no threat. But, you know, in reality, he would be treated extremely suspiciously. Yeah, he'd probably, like, he would have walked into his office with, um, like, a, like a, an attaché an from yeah. the Secret Service. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, like, at the bare minimum. And Josh would have had to jump through a lot more hoops to get it arranged in the first place. Yeah. But, uh but overall, the plot line works, you know, because like I said, because it is a Christmas episode and because they're changing up the formula so much and we get this nice like beginning and ending payoff, it, uh, it all works thematically at least, yes. even if, even if some of the details twinge a little. Well, and so go ahead. No, I was just, I was just going to make a personal comment. Oh, Holy Night is my personal favorite Christmas Carol. I'm not a huge like christmas buff but it's really a beautiful song especially like it in is. a chorale format like yeah that, and so. like like i said it works surprisingly well with the acapella version and yeah. the and the montage closing out the episode so let's take a break there and we'll isolate that little segment on its own and we'll come back and discuss the rest of the episode So shortly after the cold open, as the episode spins up, um, we actually have CJ holding a press conference, and then there's a ba 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 ba. It's Santa Claus Yay! visiting the press office. Santa, Yay, Santa, and comes in and like she's like, oh hey, it's Santa. It must be Christmas time. Ba ba ba. He gets up on the podium and like they, she adjourns the. The conference or whatever weighs it, everybody away. It's basically a party more than a press than a, yeah. a press conference because it's the Christmas one, and you can tell they're all just like itching to go on vacation. There's a there's a good mood. It's not like a normal press conference. Well, yeah, and she's calling a lid for the day so people can leave and whatever. Yeah. So like, um, but then Santa stays up on on stage talking with or like as she dismisses people, and then oh my gosh, kisses her on the mouth. Plants a big old Santa kiss on her. <laughs> And it turns out that it's actually Danny Kincannon back from assignment somewhere. Danny's back. Yeah. Uh, so, so we haven't seen him in quite a while. Yeah, honestly, probably a, at least a full season. Something like that. It's it's at least been like 15 or something episodes. Yeah. It's been so a he's long been time. on assignment in, in Africa, I think is the understanding. Correct. Darkest Africa. <laughs> right. Um, so he comes back and CJ and he's him have He's learned a lot about throughout. cricket. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah so he's been in some <laughs> british colonial uh, places <laughs> yeah and he and cj like have a couple interactions throughout the rest of the episode where they're you know catching up he's sitting in the santa suit in her <laughs> office like yeah telling stories and you know they're they're talking to whoever and then in an actually what i consider to be probably the best part of the writing of this particular episode yes is that there's a very slow creeping suggestion and a bunch of leading questions and implications from like the extremely subtle side of the spectrum to basically like 
CJ, I know that your boss assassinated Omar Sharif. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, not Omar Sharif. That's the rest of Abdul, um, Abdul. Abdul Sharif. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, like you said, yeah. it's done very, very well. It's the, the closest the West Wing ever gets to subtlety. Uh, or like you said, starting off subtly and then just leading up to the point where like, no, there were army rangers guarding the airstrip in Bermuda. We know what happened. Yeah. Well, it's also it just the the facts that he lays out and puts together are actually really kind of nice and interesting because obviously we're supposed to think of Danny as like the quintessential, like the uh, the journalist, yeah, the big journalist guy, and. It's actually really, again, well-written in that he, you know, he pounds the pavement, extrapolates some stuff, and gets lucky a couple times, and, like, connects these dots, and then brings it back to the press secretary for the president, basically being like, well, um, I like you, so I'm going to give you... Some time to form a response, basically. Yeah. Or to, if you want to give me an official answer... Mm-hmm. That I can run with, but uh, but yeah, this is this this is the story is coming, uh, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming out, and so what I what I really like that is that CJ goes to Josh with this and is like, "Hey, so Danny thinks he knows that we killed Sharif," and Josh's immediate first response is like, huh, "Sounds like he's been in the Africa heat a little too much." <laughs> like like just immediately trying to like gaslight danny and like call him nuts because and then cj's like but no he actually has like some evidence and sources and then josh is like okay yeah we'll work on it and like immediately (laughs) shuts down yeah it's great it's just like um yeah basically um yeah that's that's really fun because josh gets told to fuck off a lot in this episode (laughs) yes so yeah, so now we we don't get much more of it than that other than, you know, now the White House knows that the story's about to come out. But again, we're seeing the nice true payoff of sticking with serialization and not just letting issues lie in the episode that they come up and then they're dismissed. Now we've got, you know, something that was many episodes in the previous season and now is actually, it's finally fully paid off and we're, what, 11 12 episodes into this season yeah so yeah again props to the writers for experimenting with this kind of arc over such a long period of time which was you know at the time it was just like ds9 in this show um that you know a few others like sopranos was going and stuff like that sure but there weren't many shows that were willing to, to stick with this sort of serialization of trusting their their viewers to have seen the previous episodes and not just assuming that everyone's coming in to watch a one-off. Yeah, I really like that too, where it's, um, this is, and we I think we complained about this specifically in the past where you run into these opportunities for the show to take a bit of license, but instead it just sort of ham-fistedly says to the viewers, hey, remember that guy? Like, he did bad thing. Right. And this time around, it's very, I just think, like, again, the the subtle, it's like Sorkin was not binging hard on cocaine when he wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> like, so it's, it's actually really well done. And I think letting the audience kind of 
in on the thought process rather than telling them what's going on is super is super interesting and great because that's what television should do like, right good job yes he's we're showing not telling like there, there's a way where danny's doing exposition but he has to tell a story but we're showing the impact of it instead of just telling people like oh there was an impact and and <laughs> you know yeah the white house is free quote the white house is freaking out about this or like whatever right. it's like you just see sort of the ripple kind of kind of take place and then start to spread and you wrote in the notes it's like the house of cards is falling down and it's yeah. almost exactly it's like a slow motion thing where you can watch it start to collapse exactly which is great like, yeah good job it's all yeah it's all paid off in like a nice way that actually is creating tension and stakes and all these things that we kept complaining about were lacking in previous episodes where there were no stakes now we have stakes <laughs> yeah and even if it's even if it's I, I again like i don't need to worry about it being stakes for a given character or the administration or whatever it's just anything it's because just we've always well, yeah, and we've always complained before that it's like the writers can create whatever they want in the fictional world, and they've often opted into creating just like a, a facsimile or a simulacrum of our world. Of, and that's of, fucking of our boring, boring world. Yeah, yeah which is why we don't boring. watch television. If we wanted to watch <laughs> the real world, we'd watch the real world. Yeah, like, and so you're here good to make job. entertaining television. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Finally, so good job. You've taken, finally, yes. And one, and you, you're taking the the like, frankly, the like you're enjoying the luxury that you have of being able to write this world, however the fuck you feel like. Right. It. So and, let's make it cool and pull from your past history and and reference your own continuity and trust that your viewers are smart enough to keep up. You know, the whole thing is the show's always trying to claim that it's smartly written or written for smart people, and yet they treat their viewers. Like idiots half yeah. the time, more than half the time, really. <laughs> treat, treat their viewers like they're Democratic voters or something. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, let's take another break and then we'll come back and we'll discuss all the rest of the character subplots in this episode. Uh, so Will's subplot in this episode is interesting because first off, uh, Toby moves him into Sam's old office, which initiates rounds of White House hazing from the junior staffers, <sighs> where it starts with A, them putting their bikes into his room, which really isn't that bad of a prank because he can like still get to his desk and stuff. So it's like, oh no, there are some bikes in my nice big office. <laughs> it must be tough. Like Mr. that guy with a door. <laughs> that's like that's really shitty pranking. I just want to say, like one out of ten on the prank scale. And also, 
as Will brings up, it's like they constantly reference like this fucking epic blizzard that's happening that's shutting down all the airports and everything. Who the fuck biked in to work today? <laughs> Seriously. Oh, I better check the weather, huh? Blizzard this evening? Better take my bike. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, g- great job with the bikes. Then later on, in a better prank, they paper over uh, all the windows with a uh, Seaborn campaign material. <laughs> um which is slightly better. That's like a three out of ten prank because at least now he can't see out of his windows. Yeah, yeah. Look, so okay, you're, ste- fine. you're stepping it up, and maybe if the episode had gone longer, we would have seen even better pranks or something like that. Charlie and CJ get up to much better pranks than the White House staffers. I'm just saying they sh- they could learn a thing or two. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so and then so Will's true subplot though is that something about like a note. Uh, about one of a speech or something and so he's gonna he's gonna him and toby are supposed to meet with the president to discuss a note on a speech uh toby can't make it so it's just will and then will is having like a nervous fucking freak out over the idea of entering the oval office and talking to the president Like, Uh, like he couldn't handle it so he's been assigned by by Toby to like handle this by himself, which okay, fine. You know what? If it's going to be your job is dealing with these people on a routine basis, then okay, you should be able to hack it and be of a certain caliber of professionalism. Right. And here's where it gets confusing because we've just spent the last several episodes establishing Will's bona fides. Right. He just ran a press conference not like three episodes ago with like all the grace and aplomb of CJ. So like. What's this idea that he can't fucking hack it when it comes, like, or it's specifically the Oval Office that freaks him out. Yeah. Apparently. Where he's like, is that the Oval Office? I'm not looking at it. I'm not looking at it. I, and, and I think you noted here, you know, there's other things where, you know, he has done other stuff. He was hooking up a vacation in a castle in europe like last episode yeah his dad was head of nato that's his whole backstory (laughs) you know when they they talk about like are you oh like george bailey it's like that's my father oh your father was head of nato yes (laughs) like okay so this man has dealt with high status individuals for his entire life i don't understand why he's flipping the fuck out about entering the oval office and talking to the president oh oh oh, gosh I, I just realized that his dad's name is the guy from fucking It's a Wonderful Is. Um, what's his name? <laughs> Maybe um, it might not be George Bailey. That okay. might be me screwing it up. Regardless. It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so it's just really weird. And it definitely feels like it's this, like he's taken the respect for the Oval Office to its logical conclusion where you must like treat it like hallowed ground. And it's this lib projection kind of thing of like, oh, but it's the president in the Oval Office and he's behind the the, re- the resolute desk and oh, oh, like like they're going to faint onto a couch. Uh, just there's a there's a scene in The Simpsons when they break in the museum and Lisa goes, but dad, you can't touch that. It's behind a velvet rope. A velvet rope. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So this is, the Oval Office is behind the ultimate velvet rope. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, so Will freaks out. It, it's actually kind of, it's played comically in the moment. And like Charlie gets to call him out is like, no, you were like the worst person ever at doing that. Yeah. Like you flop sweat so hard in this situation, man. Like, like get it together. I've, I've actually not seen anyone else do that poorly. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I see the general public interact with the president. 
Uh, so that, that's pretty funny. But then it turns out this was all like a secret test of character for Will, where he, it was supposed to be about how he spoke truth to power. And it's like, uh, he's like, I can speak truth to power just fine. He's like, you wet your pants and called me Mr. Justice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, I don't even, it's, it's sort of the, I don't know. It just, I'm struggling to frame my thoughts around it because it seems a little incoherent. Like, okay, fine. Workplace hazing, you know, you get, get, get on the team, you know, test your metal or whatever, but also like. Yeah, shouldn't you have established this before you hired the guy? Like that. Like, hey, by the way, are you gonna freak out when you walk into the Oval Office and have to talk to the president? Be- because, <laughs> that should have been like an interview question. Yeah, you know? it's like, guess what? Your job is gonna be mainly this. So you're gonna have to present him with like notes about speeches and show him your speeches and talk to him quite a lot, actually, about your speeches. Like, because that's yeah, what you do. You're, gonna, you're a speechwriter. If you're going to have a fucking panic attack every time <laughs> that possibility enters, then you're not going to be that good at this job. So yeah. by the end, he's okay with it all of a sudden because, like, they get into a debate or whatever and he's fine. And he'll be fine from now on. It just feels like a weird thing to bring up out of nowhere. And, and again, it feels like this ultra respect for the Oval Office taken up to 11 to like sickety levels like fill in time i guess you know and and being like oh we just introduced this character you know what can we have him do this time again the actual comical moment of him freaking out about it is funny and it's good um but again it's just like why though you you could (laughs) have filled time in another way yeah uh speaking of filling time in other ways there's also so this subplot between josh and donna what they get up to in this episode is they're technically working on, like, some infant mortality bill in terms of, like, increasing funding to prevent infant mortality, (laughs) which we find out from Bartlett is, like, a way of soothing his conscience about the Sharif killing. So that's just imperialism in a nice little fucking ribbon gift wrap package of, like, oh, we'll, we'll increase some domestic spending here at home to make me feel less guilty about the domestic you know foreign crimes i'm com- war crimes i'm committing yeah and uh, the 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 josh and donna stuff is all just yeah, gross <laughs> yeah it's all this like weird sort of love triangle ish thing with between them and jack reese where you know donna is going off to meet with jack reese but josh has to call her back for work so she can't meet him and then in the in the most hilarious move uh, toward the end of the episode leo calls josh into his office and just dismisses two of our subplots <laughs> and says, I love but, it. by the way that infant mortality thing and that other thing just fucking forget about him it's christmas go help go home go have fun <laughs> when i was reading through your notes i started laughing out loud when you wrote this down. yeah I'm just like it's, oh, that's exactly it's great. what you did it's great. He literally just says, like, oh, the other thing was, like, the Israel roof situation or whatever. And he's just like, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. Fuck both of them. Like, <laughs> just we're calling them off. We're writing these subplots out right now. Go home. Go Which, home, Josh. Again, it's just the writers flexing all over and be like, um, <laughs> yeah. well, we had this idea, but, ah, uh, fuck it. Ah, uh, uh, fuck it. It's Christmas. Like, I imagine <laughs> that exact same conversation happened in the writer's room. <laughs> Uh, guys, we don't really have an end to these two subplots. Fuck it, it's Christmas. I'm going home for vacation. Who's the most powerful person we got? Leo? Okay. Just tell, tell Leo tell to call canceled. off. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, in doing that, uh, in canceling those things, it removes Donna's need to burn the midnight 
midnight oil over Christmas Eve, and so Leo arranges, like, a private helicopter to go take her to meet Jack Reese at a, a hotel for the weekend where they're gonna hook up or whatever, and that makes Josh sad. Because, the, you know, Josh is crushing on Donna, and we, and we have to set up for this for its eventual payoff in season fucking seven or whatever. Yeah, several years down the road, but... So, so that's that's dumb and kind of pointless, but again, we both really liked how much Leo just called it all off. <laughs> it's great, right at the end. That, that should happen more often. <laughs> they should just call off more things. Yeah, set, uh, set him all, up and knock the, him down. Andy's not pregnant anymore. Leo called it off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then so our final character bit, and we've saved the best for last year. Whew. And actually. Can you? I want you to put in a clip of him when we introduce him, and sure. like, or with Zoe calling out his titles or whatever. But Zoe has brought her new beau to the White House, and it is Guy Le French Duche, <laughs> Monsieur Esquire the Third. Yes, hello. My name is like. Le Trek, Mountbatten, like, Habsburg, Baden The 23rd Viscount of Duke of Archibald. (laughs) I like that we're both struggling to come up with anything. It's just like, it's the most stereotypical thing in the world. But you see, he's at, is she at Harvard? Uh, sure. Sure. She's, she's, no, she's at Georgetown. Georgetown, 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 right? Yeah. Yeah. And he's like a foreign exchange student or something. Yeah. Or she, she met him that way. Um, but yeah, so she comes around and we get to see Charlie, like, you know, Russell at like, uh-oh, male competition from a lady. Yeah. And uh, and uh, she tries to ask uh, uh, Bartlett to let him come stay for Thanksgiving. Uh, mm-hmm. Or sorry, for Christmas. We're mm-hmm. in the Christmas episode, Dave. Uh <laughs> To let him come stay for Christmas, and he's like, yeah, fine, but there's going to be an armed guard outside your bedroom, and he's going to sleep in the cellar, and there'll be an armed guard down there, too. Yeah, and, I mean, it's, it's again, it's like the, the stereotypical, like, boomer dad plot line, yeah. the boyfriend coming home for holiday thing. But, but Zoe's <clears throat> boyfriend will pay off dividends uh, later this season. Huh, when, spoilers. Uh, when, yeah, spoiler alert, when he is responsible for the uh, the climactic season finale moment where Zoe gets kidnapped. Yeah, it rules. Um, and you, <laughs> you did note that Zoe, as always, the female character somehow being the ones that shine in Sorkin World, um, she calls out Charlie for being the worst kind of snob. <laughs> yeah, for like, and I was like, well, she's right, because basically our entire main cast is the worst kind of snob. <laughs> yeah. all, all of these people are actually terrible snobs. And like, don't get me wrong, fuck your like little royal rich boy boyfriend <laughs> yeah. thing. But, but also fuck Charlie. <laughs> like, yeah, don't don't just be an asshole for being an asshole. Yeah, like sake. he's Dude, clearly doing shot. it out of, like, macho personal reasons about, like, uh-oh, Zoe's with another guy, we've got to thump my chest, you yeah. know? Like, yeah, don't, you know, you you had, you know, and they'll, they end up not hooking up again, but, like, they end up becoming more friendly after, uh, I think they actually do hook up again. I can't remember, but we've got three more seasons of this bullshit. We'll, to, we'll to get to it eventually. And... I just love, uh, I just love this guy, and, like, I don't know who the yeah, actor is who what a, what a great, he's doing, oh, the actor's doing a phenomenal yeah, job. Yeah, oh, like, chewing the... You know, the, the casting director's like, okay, can you be a French douchebag? And the guy was like, wee <laughs> oui, wee, <oui>, perfect. Ho, 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 what is yeah. this White House? Back yeah. in France, we call them white castles. I hear you have how you say hamburgers. 
<laughs> called White Castle? Oh, mon ami! Like, it's just, yeah. it's, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's really, really good. Yeah, this is, like, in peak, like, French hate times. This is peak, like, Freedom Fries Oh, time that's right! And stuff like that. So, Holy you know, shit, you know I hadn't Sorkin's, even thought of it. Oh, I yeah, I immediately made that connection of, like, that's why this guy is French and eminently hateable, <laughs> as opposed to any other type of person right well, now. It's, red-blooded, it's because red-blooded, we're in peak Freedom Fries moment. Sure, red-blooded, like, bootstrap cop son Charlie, you know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. American-born and bred, yeah, cop son Charlie versus this foreign fucking royalty bastard. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. oh man so yeah uh, overall a very entertaining episode if you are doing a watch along with us this one is absolutely yeah. worth watching uh, absolutely highly recommend on for once uh only a couple of moments that will make you tear out your your hair with stupid liberal shit like some of the particulars that josh and donna get up to when discussing the infant mortality bill and they're like yeah. what about what about attacks on low-income people it's like oh great attacks on people who can't afford the health care Super, yeah, that helps. And also, um, I just kind of noted at the very beginning, this was, I was in college when this was, uh, like, recorded, and oh my god, in uh, this is probably 2003 by this point, like, the acapella phenomenon. Oh, was holy at its peak. shit. Yeah. Like, I knew dudes at school who were in acapella groups, and it was, like, all anybody talked about. Well, and this is uh, pre-Pitch Perfect, you know? Yes. <laughs> Like, so I would argue acapella has only gotten bigger. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Whew. So it was a big phenomenon for people of college age back in like right. 2003, but 2004. To be fair, the Whiff and Poofs are a classical institution yes, and, and have ev- been an acapella yeah. group for decades and decades and decades, as this episode shows. Referenced in the show Gilmore Girls as well. Huh. <sighs> um. But uh, yeah, that pretty much does it for this episode. Let's take one final quick break and we'll come back and wrap up. When I go to Baltimore, I don't need carpet on my floor. Grab the coat and follow me. I know a man in Galilee. Green, rocky rock, promenade in green. Tell me who you love. Tell me who you love. Tell me who you love. Welcome back. So I would like to note on this day, Friday, October the 2nd, 2020, that our president, God bless him, <laughs> Donald J. Trump, has caught COVID-19. <laughs> Dave, Dave text, like I texted Dave last night and just said like, holy shit, fucking chaos reigns. And he texted back to you, Dave. He's like, we have to record something about this. Yes, I want I want this marked so that you know when the aliens scan SoundCloud thousands of years from now, they uh, they note on this particularly auspicious day that uh, that West Wing <laughs> was also bad. We it's just like I it was the middle of the night when it broke here and like I was falling asleep, whatever. Um, but I, I didn't quite realize until this morning just 
the amount of content that was instantly generated. I'm kind of surprised that the <laughs> internet didn't like light itself on fire, like physically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. The writers of 2020 are just pulling out all the stops. Flying. <laughs> it's it's so great. I was, you know, I just saw a tweet the other day of like, man, I don't even think there could be an October surprise at this point. What What's left to surprise? And then the per- same person just tweeted today, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, the, uh, October surprise didn't wait long. It's only the second. <laughs> and like the, the, um, just the speculation and the conspiracy theories. And like, yes. you've got like the lion Assad, like the curse of Assad reacts. Yes, going on. Yeah, who like, must go? <laughs> and just like, all of this is just, it is like, apex content generation for 2020 i could not believe it and it is absolutely incredible i'm cracking and pigging and laughing so hard just the 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 heft of it i haven't felt like this and granted 2020 has broken all of our brains so it's kind of hard to experience that it's like any other drug high it's like it's hard to experience that anymore but i was like jesus christ this is insane this puts us new thresholds yeah (laughs) Uh, uh, oh man i've been laughing so much (laughs) Uh, and i mean like my wife works in politics and she's just like well those of us who know kind of like who do the day-to-day stuff it's just like it's not going to change anything about like our jobs but she was like the people who are isolated to dc and think strictly federally and like think the world revolves around them right are are having their brains like it is like slurry running out of their ears, right? Like now. scanners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh. we just want to remark on that and, and have that saved for posterity. Uh, so, but that brings a close to this episode of The Worst Wing. We thank you for joining us. We always appreciate your comments, your feedback, and our threads. Uh, if you found us a different way, you can always shoot the show an email at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. It's nice. It's been a pretty nice day overall. Uh, The weather's finally getting nice in my neck of the woods, too, which is also awesome. But, uh, yeah, thank you, as always, for joining us. We'll be back next week to discuss the next episode. And in the meantime, uh, thoughts and prayers. (laughs) Thoughts and prayers. Stay safe. (laughs) Stay safe, everyone else. (laughs) All right, y'all, bye. Bye.